If you could turn now to uh, your Bibles in Isaiah chapter 53, you'll actually pick up the, the reading at the end of chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, them they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before them like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's just pray, shall we? Oh, teach me what it meaneth, that cross uplifted high, with one the man of sorrows, condemned to bleed and die. Oh, teach me what it cost thee to make a sinner whole. And teach me, oh Saviour, teach me the value of a soul. Amen.
What a privilege to gather around the Lord's table and to remember him. I think it is the highlight of the Beach Mission Weekend because it focuses our attention and brings us to examine ourselves and to the very heart of the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Isaiah, who, uh, we, uh, chapter 53, that we had uh, read so well to us this morning, his name means salvation is of Jehovah. And I want you to turn to Isaiah 53. He has been rightly described as the fifth evangelist. In the book, you get the, the word salvation occurring at least 28 times. Save 19 times. And Saviour 8 times. The, his prophetic call is recorded for us in Isaiah 6. He preaches the gospel powerfully in Isaiah chapter 53 and he makes an evangelistic appeal in chapter 55 and verse 6. Listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon now, Isaiah's not, message not, an inf, not only influenced those of his time, but on a snowy day, a standing preacher preached a text, and there was a man called Charles who happened to come in. And this old farmer, he preached from Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And through those wonderful words of Isaiah, Charles Spurgeon came to trust Christ became the prince of preachers that God used powerfully in this country. Isaiah 53, verses 56, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. So were those verses that spoke to John Calvin, who wrote those institutes, in relation to another traditional religious system that was teaching it was through works that we got to heaven. And he gloried by faith alone, by grace alone. And we were spoken to uh, through, the, uh, through the Bible, which is the completed word of God. Martin Luther said this, This passage ought to be written on golden parchment with diamonds for its letters. This chapter is all about Jesus. His birth. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his coming again. This glorious chapter, written 700 years before Jesus walked the dusty shores of Galilee, Isaiah dipped his pen into golden glory and wrote Isaiah 53. It shows us the amazing biography of the king. We'll begin with the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It then goes on to speak, as one old time said, the virtuous life. Then we're going to focus on the vicarious death of Jesus. A stupendous event in human history. God's plus sign in history. And then, of course, we come to the victorious resurrection. Because we are resurrection people this morning. And then his visible return. How absolutely amazing. First of all then, let's begin to come into Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. 
Our Lord Jesus was a little baby, a tender plant growing up in a barren land. Did Isaiah know about the virgin birth of Jesus? Yes, he did. In Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, look at Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It's an incredible thing. Jesus was fully man. But he was fully God. And as the shepherds and the wise men, they peered over that cradle. A wonder of wonder that one could behold the ancient of days is only an hour old. As they looked into, the, uh, into that manger, they saw the, the infinite one, the one who put the galaxies, the one who put the stars, the one who made the world, the one who made you. That the infinite had become an infant. God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. Coming over to the executive meetings, which are always tremendous times when we look back on what God has done. It is very thrilling. It's God's work. And it's been thrilling um, to see it. I was halfway there on the first beach mission in 1953 and got there for the next one. Um, it's been amazing just to see what God has done. But this year, is the uh, I was coming over and I missed my plane. I had to get on, on another one. Um, and... Uh, was diverted. And as I was coming off the plane, I saw a guy who I... Do you know, sometimes when you look back on your life, you really feel you missed an opportunity to speak for Jesus. Jeffrey Bowman was his name. And he is a solicitor in Belfast, working with for the firm C.H. Jefferson. And I said, Jeffrey, I said, what brings you over here? And he said, well, he said, I'm having dinner with some of the old astronauts, Dave Scott and I think Buzz Aldrin, they're over here. And he said, I'm going to take a real interest. I said, that's amazing, I said. Because this year, I said, I've been setting off rockets on the beach. And he looked at me rather amazed. Jason's rocket was going over there, you know. And I want to apologize for all the holiday makers I interrupted. And, um, and I said, I've been talking about a man who interviewed called Colonel James Irwin. And uh, he's, it's an amazing interview. And he said, this is a, a fantastic Christian, he said, you know, as he was driving, going through his rocket, he said, Steve, he said, you didn't think you were going at 25,000 miles per hour. I certainly thought that was more than my clapped out Renault car went at that time. And then he said, he said, God, he said, he, he sent me to the moon, he said, that I might speak about the sun, S-O-N. And I said, you know, when Colonel Irwin was on there, I, I said, he looked down at the blue planet and he said, he didn't quote this verse, but he wished he had. For God so loved the blue planet that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And I said, Jeffrey, I said, I must send you a CD. He said, Stephen, he said, I'd be really interested. I thought, praise the Lord for diverting my flight, even though I felt pretty annoyed at the time. But what was it, the, the famous statement of Colonel Irwin? The most important journey is not man walking on the moon, but God walking on the earth. Why? If you have no virgin birth, we have no deity, perfect man, uh, perfect God and perfect man. You have no sinless son of God. You have no blood atonement. You have no new birth. And you have no hope of heaven. Well, did the writer say, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And as we look at Jesus, we see the holiest of holies of humanity. But secondly, as we come into this great chapter of Isaiah 53, we see his virtuous life. He had no beauty or majesty to attract him to us. 
Verse 2. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. Every Christmas now, Helen and I try to go to the Messiah. What a fantastic way to start Christmas. And it was first performed, of course, in Dublin. He was despised and rejected. There was no outward beauty that we should desire him. He wasn't born in, Beth- in, in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. Jesus didn't stand up physically. In fact, they had to point him out in the crowd when the soldiers came to arrest him. But John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, or tabernacled amongst us, and we beheld his glory. What a wonderful concept that he tabernacled amongst us. Viewed and viewed the tabernacle going through the wilderness. It looked unattractive. It was covered in badger skins, drab brown, unattractive colour on the outside. But once you got in on the inside, you saw the embroidery, the candlesticks, the indescribable beauty of the holy place, and then the holy of holies, where the very Shekinah of glory uh, dwelt. And then you came to the Ark of the Covenant, another amazing ark. I always remember being on the speak out down in London, and this guy said, and how did... Moses get all the animals into the ark and he read out the ark, the dimensions of the ark of the covenant. No, that was a different ark. Okay, I was back in England, okay. But in the ark of the covenant were three things, okay. The Ten Commandments, speaking of God the Father, those commandments written with the very finger of God. The manna, what is it? Okay, the bread that came down from heaven that speaks of Jesus, the living bread. And then, of course, there was the rod. Uh, Aaron's rod that budded. The Spirit gives life. Somebody said you can never put God in a box, but it comes as close as you can. What was God saying in that Ark of the, the Covenant? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. You approach it through a blood sacrifice as the Lamb was slain. Outwardly it looked unattractive. But when you begin to come inside, you see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. And the wonder of who God is and that he loves us with an everlasting love. Well, in that great calendar, they pen these words, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Jesus, fully God, fully man, he did no sin. Peter says this, he was a lamb without blemish and without spot. And he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. But all we then begin to come into the heart of Isaiah. And we come into Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 11. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does the word vicarious mean? It simply means this. In the place of another. In the place of another. When we look at the cross, we see that Jesus was our substitute. My dad often used to say to me, Stephen, Jesus is not primarily a substitute for satisfaction. He is a substitute for sin. We believe in the substitutionary atonement. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I want to say this first of all. 
But as I look at the cross this morning, I say this, He took my sin. He took my sin. I remember as a child singing that lovely chorus, Wounded for me, wounded for me, there on the cross, He was wounded for me, gone my transgressions, and now I am free, all because Jesus was wounded for me. He was wounded, or the word is pierced, for our transgressions. As Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup. Whose sin was in that cup? My sin, your sin. He took my sin, all of our sins, the sins of yesterday, the sins of today, the sins of tomorrow, the sins of the ages, the sins of rape, the sins of arson, the sins of lust, the sins of pride, the sins of hypocrisy. hypocrisy. And as Jesus looked into that cup, he said, Father, he said, if it be possible, let that cup pass from me. But the amazing thing is this, is that Jesus took that cup for me. He was pierced for our iniquity. Those are powerful statements explaining the meaning of the cross. But let's begin to go into Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verses 45 to 43. Just read this, because this is an incredible thing. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to the life. Then came out of the tomb and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Truly, This man was the Son of God. There are powerful statements explaining the meaning of the cross. But there are at least six supernatural miracles that accompany the cross. The supernatural darkness, the amazing cry, the rending of the veil, the miraculous earthquake, the miracle of the opening of the graves and the revival to life in the Calvary graveyards. No wonder Matthew records, when the centurion and those who were with him, guarding Jesus, they saw the earthquake and they they said, surely he was the Son of God. Let me just say this, the cross of Jesus, as he was pierced for our iniquity, it impacted the visible world, but it impacted the invisible world. Lovely to hear Steve leading us in that chorus. He is Lord, He is Lord, He has risen from the dead and He is Lord. He, he died and revived, Romans 14, 9 says that He might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Let's follow the timeline of the cross. Jesus Christ was put on the cross at 9 a.m. He hangs there in the first three hours till 12. He, we hear the first cry, Father forgive them, they know not what they do. Then the second cry, today you shall be with me in paradise, and then woman, behold thy son. And then from 12 noon to 3, there is darkness that comes across that crop, uh, uh, over the, over Calvary. It comes out the other side, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst, it is finished, and Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. What I want to focus on in this supernatural darkness, as we consider it this morning, It's not the wood of the cross, but the work of the cross. The darkness lasted for three hours. Therefore, it didn't result from an eclipse. Some of us have seen that in our lifetime and how a very short period of time that can be. 
It occurred at the festival of the Passover, which was always observed as a full moon when the eclipse of the sun was impossible. What does the darkness speak of? The darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, until the sun stopped shining. I remember a year or two ago, there was a beach missioner who was having his 30th birthday. His name was called Peter. And he said, Steve, he said, I'm having my 30th birthday in Siena, in Italy. Would you like to come? Well, there are heavy burdens of an Irish beach mission leader. <laughs> I said, I'd be delighted to come. And so I cobbled together a few Tesco air miles, and we got on the plane, and we had a great time. Just in case you're worried, I did my first beach mission deputation in Italy in the morning, on the Sunday morning. But a great time, and, and, and reminiscing and meeting up with his many friends. But that day, I, uh, when we were there in Florence, we went up to one of the big churches, the Junimo, climbed about 434 steps, and we looked over some of the the paintings of the, the awful scene of the judgment of God. But let me just say this, as artists have tried to do it, it pales into insignificance. Listen to what Isaiah 13, 10 and 11 says, The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. Peter declared that God cast the rebellious angel into hell and committed them into the pits of darkness reserved for judgment. When Jesus hung upon that cross, my sin, your sin, the sin of the world was focused upon the spotless Lamb of God. And he received the very judgment of God for the sin of the world. Why? Titus 2.14 Whilst we await the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are eager to serve him. Many years ago Lance Pibworth wrote these words that have so challenged my heart many times as I've reflected upon them. It's simply called Laid on Him. All my sin of every kind All the thoughts that stain my mind, all the evil I designed, laid on him. All the ways my feet have strayed, all the idols I have made. All the times I have not prayed, laid on him. All the told and acted lies, all success and all the tries, sins that I legitimize, laid on him. All that sinks me to the mire, all the times of base desire, all that needs a cleansing fire, laid on him. All my misdirected powers, all my many wasted hours, all my dreams of ivory towers, laid on him. All that makes my spirit cold, all that keeps me from the fold, all that dims my father's gold, laid on him. All the times I grieve the spirit, all the nature I inherit, all the punishment I merit, merit, laid on him. Laid on him, God's own dear son. Laid on him, the Holy One, blotting out the noonday sun, when laid on him. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through, ere he found the sheep that was lost. As I stand at the foot of the cross this morning, in the awesome three hours of darkness, I can hear the blood of the Son of God fall to the ground. When Jesus claimed he was the Son of God, they took up stones to stone him. In ridicule, they said, show us a sign from heaven. 
And now as the wickedness of man was at its height and the judgment of God fell upon the Son of God, the very universe bent in reverential obeisance to the crucified Saviour in the place of the skull. Why, well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in Christ, the mighty maker died. For man, the creature's sin. And as Jesus comes out at those three hours upon that cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I want you to understand the judgment. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. I have been broken as I've read Isaiah 53 again. The suffering that Jesus went through. Now the piercing, what did it affect? We know it affected an apostle. If you read John's Gospel, you'll find this. As Jesus, as John comes, as they, they, they look at the spear that went to the side of the Lord Jesus. The one who saw it has given this testimony, and this testimony is true. He knows he tells the truth, and he testifies it so that you might believe. John was affected by the piercing of Jesus, and that apostle became the apostle of love. And he writes, they will look on him, quoting from Zechariah, on the one whom they have pierced. It affected an admirer. Do you remember there was Joseph of Arimathea, a secret follower of Jesus. And along with Nicodemus, a man who came to see Jesus by night. And they saw what Jesus had been through. But they came and they craved the body of Jesus. As they saw those spikes lifted out of the hands of Jesus, can I say this, they lost their secrecy at the cross. They lost their secrecy at the cross. Sometimes we're ashamed to own Jesus. We need to be those who lose our secrecy at the cross. We realize that in public humiliation, he went to that cross for us. And then there was an accountant one day who was coming down. He was, he was a professional man. He was, he was an Ethiopian. He was in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And Philip went away from the big meetings and the revivals and everything, the phenomenals. The Holy Spirit was being poured out upon Jerusalem and in many other parts of that area. And he comes to this man, he's reading, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his fear is silence, so he did not open his, up his mouth. Uh, he did not open his mouth. And the, the man says, who is the prophet talking about? And from that passage he begins to speak to him and explain, Jesus, Jesus. Wow. He was pierced for our transgressions. The famous evangelist was getting on a train and he couldn't have... Had, time to speak to this person. He said, tell me, he said, how do I become a Christian? He said, go to Isaiah 53, verse 6. Go in at the first door and come out at the last door. And he reads, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he trusts the Saviour. And he becomes a Christian. Why did he come? He came to redeem us. A number of months ago, I was over in, uh, in California at the time the election was on. And I went, <clears throat> my, my brother, he really looked after me, went to the, uh, watch a, ba- a basketball match at the, match at the uh, Staples uh, uh, Center in the center of California. Little did I know that a number of months later, Michael Jackson would be buried there. And we were singing that song, He is Lord. And the man who conducted the service as the casket of Michael Jackson was being led out said, one day the king of pop will have to bow his knee to the king of kings. Remember that. But he took me to the service. There was the vote that was going on about Proposition 8 that marriage should only be for a man and a woman. Every night at John MacArthur's service in the Grace Community, they have what they call miracle services. There were two ladies who had been delivered from amazing wrong sins of hypocrisy and sins of the tongue. They, were, they repented and were baptized, but into the baptismal tank on a most cultured businessman. 
So let me tell you my story. I drifted from church. He said I took up a homosexual relationship for 25, uh, for 15 years with a partner in San Francisco. I was being checked out for life skills and somebody said you need to look at yourself spiritually. Goes on the internet, begins to read the Bible, comes under conviction. And he said, I've confessed my sin. I went back to my partner 15 years and said, I no longer want to be gay. I am following Jesus Christ. And the pastor said, it can be said of such worse some of you, but you've been washed and you've been cleaned. You know what the Bible says? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. And I began to look at the sins that maybe my body had committed, the things that I was wrong. And I needed to come back. He took my sin. He took my shame as well. He took my shame. He was oppressed and afflicted. He opened not his mouth, but he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Oh, the shame of the cross. He went through it willingly for you and for me. He took my sufferings. He took my sufferings. He was cut out out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. The word death is in the plural and could be translated deaths. It's an intensive plural. In other words, we could say he died a thousand deaths. He died a million deaths. He paid for the sin of the world. The finite one would suffer for an infinite period, but the infinite one, because of who he is, he was a propitiation not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Lamentations 1 and 12. Is it nothing to you, or you who pass by, look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me on the day of his fierce anger. He took my separation. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took my sin. He took my shame. He took my suffering. And he took my separation. Let me just comment briefly and just say this. There was the victorious resurrection. It's all here, isn't it? For Isaiah 53, 9. He shall see his seed and prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. A paraphrase puts it like this. He shall live again. He came off the cross, he went into the tomb, but praise God, he came out of the tomb and he walked out of that grave never to die again. There is a God that guards Lenin tomb. And they say, what? And this Christian said, but we don't guard our tomb because our Saviour has risen. He is victorious. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. But this is the amazing thing. One day when he sees the redeemed church of God, churches, uh, Christians that will rise from the ashes where they have been burnt, Christians who have been murdered and martyred, Christians who live for God for 70 or 80 years, when the church of God is assembled, he shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And we will rejoice in his visible return. Verse 12, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. Billy Graham was once asked, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And Billy said, no, I'm an optimist. Because I've read the final chapter and we win. And it's great, isn't it? This morning we have partaken of the Lord's table until he come. Isaiah cries this morning. And Titus challenges us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the evil man his thoughts. And let him turn to the Lord. He will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Don't speak to someone you've never come to trust Christ. Oh, come and speak to me. You've, had, you've seen the witness of the Lord's table this morning. But also someone here who says, I, I just need to take those quiet moments. God needs to purify me. I, I know there's weaknesses in my life. Sins that I need to confess. Oh, how wonderful to do that this morning and to get right with God.